Blog Talk Radio. Swing and a fly ball, deep to left, down the line, could be, going, going, and it is gone for a home run for David Wright. Struck him out swinging. Slider away. Tanaka tonight has struck out 10 and walked one. I mean, that's pretty darn good, huh? Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to Gotham Baseball Live. I'm Mark Healy. Uh, joining me today is uh, Tim Healy from Newsday. Uh, he's been covering the Mets for quite some time now, and he always gives a lot of great insight to the team. Uh, he's with us live from spring training. Uh, hey, Tim, uh, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Thank you very much for having me. Well, look, the first thing I wanted to get to, and obviously there's a lot to get to because uh, you know, fans out there are just starving for information during spring training. But one thing I was interested in today, uh, you know, being on on the different Zooms and, and looking at, you know, the different players that got to talk. It was nice to see Chili Davis back in camp, of course. And, uh, you know, he seemed happy to be back. You know, he seemed very, like, genuinely not only grateful that uh, the organization gave him the opportunity to opt out last year, but he mm-hmm. seemed – he seems really a tease with coming this year. Did you get that sense? Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, he, he opted out last year for the COVID concerns, which is reasonable, of course. Um, and and you could hear the genuineness and the sincerity, sincerity in his voice when he talked about how being able to get the vaccine really alleviates all of the stress, not all the stress, most of the stress, involved in being in this environment, working around people all day, every day. You know, he said he got the first shot. The second one is coming up. Uh, he'll get that during camp, probably sooner rather than later. Um, and, but it was, it, it was good to hear not only the hitters and Rojas were excited to have him back, but how genuinely happy Chile was. Uh, you know, with the pandemic, obviously, it sucks for everybody. Everybody's been through a lot. And here we have an example of one guy who is pretty much coming out the other side, right? We all know people in our lives slowly getting vaccinated. And it, it seems like every person that I know, at least, who gets vaccinated, whether it's my grandparents or my parents who are about to become eligible, you know, it, it, everyone is a little win. And, uh, you know, now it's time to stack those little wins. And, you know, Ch- Chili's taking care of himself. So I'm sure others will follow. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, you get the sense uh, from the way Luis Rojas was talking, J.D. Davis, of course, talked about it today. Uh, you know, having having Chili, you know, I covered Chili when he was with the Yankees. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it. I always thought that, you know, back then when he was just a veteran on the team, I, I felt like this guy's going to be a great coach, you know, if he gets the opportunity, because he just had that quality uh, as being a leader. And, you know, every time I think about Chili Davis, now this is before your time, but everything I, I, every time I think about Chili, the first thing I think of is um, a quote after he faced Dwight Gooden for the first time. And I think, I think he hit a home run once. And they asked him, oh, what was it like to, you know, hit, hit off Dwight Gooden? And he was like, he ain't God, man. And that <laughs> quote, you know, like I always think of that quote. Because at that time, I, you know, when he said that, I, you know, I was, I was a kid loving, loving the Mets and loving Dwight Gooden. 
And I was like, oh, what a jerk. Chili Davis was to say that, you know, and then getting to meet him as a player when he was, you know, the veteran leader with the Yankees and seeing him interact, I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. So uh, it's nice to see, of course, um, not only that, how he ha- how happy he was, but how the team, uh, you know, was really like really enjoyed having him, really seems to enjoy having him back. The other yeah. question I had was about uh, Dylan Batances. Uh, he, he had an interesting uh, session today uh, with the media. And, you know, a couple, a couple of days ago, somebody asked me, you know, do you think that the Mets uh, are really upset that they lost out on a couple of the arms like Trevor Rosenthal and, and you know, uh, Justin Wilson? And I said, you know, my impression, and I just want to see if you had the same impression, but my impression from the people that I talked to was that the team feels that Batances and Familia, that those two guys who really did not contribute last year at all, mm-hmm. if they can get back to being consistent, not elite, but being consistent, that that would make up for whatever arms that they failed to get or didn't get during the course of this offseason. What do you what do you think about that? Uh yeah, that would go a long way towards solidifying a bullpen that in my view is still a question mark. You have Edwin, you know, Edwin Diaz who has his ups and downs, right? A lot of ups last year. Gray Shark got right, low ERA, a handful of blown saves and still lost his closers job at some point. Lugo's gonna be out for a little while. Trevor May is a signing I really like. Aaron Loop is solid. So you have some good pieces in that bullpen, but the Mets could really, really use a couple of pleasant surprises. And now that that could take the form of bounce back years for Batantis or Familia or someone emerging as a, you know, a legitimate reliable reliever like Drew Smith or Sam Nick Williams, somebody in that basket. Um, So yes, Batantis and Familia, uh, and Batantis and or Familia bouncing back would go a long way toward raising the floor of the bullpen. That said, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily counting on that. You know, Batantis isn't what he used to be, especially velocity-wise. He, may be, he basically admitted that today, that he probably will never throw that hard again. Um, and there, we see it all the time in baseball. There comes a time in every reliever's career where he's basically all used up. And Batances worked really hard for the Yankees for a lot of years. And to me, it's not clear after basically two years of injuries, it's not clear that how much he has, has left. It's, it's just going to be interesting to see, because I, you know, I, I always have, when you're talking about relievers and you're talking about bullpen management, I thought that that was something severely lacking with Luis last year, probably the only outside of his, uh, and we'll and we'll get to Luis a little bit later, but outside of um, you know his uncomfort, uh, you know he was a little uncomfortable with the media last year, and I think that you know there was a lot of reasons for that. Uh, you know I think the Will Ponds put. I always felt that, especially Jeff, always put undue pressure uh, on the guys, on the coaches, on the managers, on the on the front office people when it came to dealing with the media. Mm-hmm. I think there was so much. Um, micromanaging when it came to the things that they said or the things they said, uh, you know, I think people always worrying about things that they would say and what, and what they'd have to answer for after the fact. I, I get a sense that Luis is a lot more comfortable uh, this year with the media. 
but but I do think that my major, basically my major question mark with with Luis Rojas when it comes to the bullpen is him and Hefner being on the same page as far as how to use these guys, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis, because there's only so many innings, there's only so many pitches in each arm. And if they're going to really keep to that strict, you know, getting these guys out in the sixth inning, that means the bullpen is going to have, they either going to have to find a, a, a really good middle guy that can throw two or three times a week and throw two or three innings at a time, or they're going to have to use the bullpen every single day. So I guess that, that in addition to what you said, where the bullpen has a lot of question marks, I also think the usage of said bullpen, even if they come up with the right mix of guys, that's a concern. I think for, you know, some, some people who, who watch the team on a day-to-day basis. And what, what do you feel about that? Uh, Yes, bullpen management is really hard. You know, w- what percentage of fired managers have gotten fired over bullpen management? Whether that's mismanaging the bullpen or maybe just the relievers not doing their jobs. It's probably a pretty significant chunk of every manager who's ever been fired. Um, yeah, that's, it, 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 it's such a, you know, tightrope walk. You know, you have a guy like Seth Lugo, for example, when he comes back healthy. Do you use him for two innings in one night, or do you limit him to one and hope he can pitch again tomorrow, right? There's so much there's so much kind of w- workload management and not wanting the guy, guys to pitch back-to-back days, trying to get the matchups right. There's so much that goes into it. it it's not as simple anymore as you have your closer, you have your eighth-inning guy, you have your seventh-inning guy, and anybody before that, you just sort of piece it together, right? Because your starter is probably going to go six innings. That's basically none of that is true anymore. Right. Uh, so anybody who can figure out how to manage a bullpen, not perfectly because that's never going to happen, but at least very well and efficiently, congratulations to that team because you're probably going to the playoffs. Right, because you have so many different like, – as, as much as teams want to think that they are – all sailing in the same direction. You know, all the ships are sailing in the same direction. You have to deal not just with your pitching coach, but also your bullpen coach. And then you have to deal with the pitcher himself. There's, there's always going to be a guy who wants the ball regardless of how his arm feels. Mm-hmm. But then there's a coach in the bullpen saying, yeah, you know what? I don't know if this guy has it tonight. Uh, and then you have, you know, somebody in the dugout, who's got the pregame script of who's supposed to be able to throw today and who's not supposed to be able to throw today. Um, You know, and it's just, there's so many things that go into that decision at that moment, forget about before the game, forget about, all right, who's available today. Who's not available today. Um, You're right. And, and you just hope that they do find that one or two pitchers that are versatile enough that they can get out when they don't have their top velocity. And that's, I always think that's the danger when you rely on arms that are, you know, when they use that, you know, Omar Minai used to love that. He used to love to get guys like, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, he loved the guys that you could go fast, faster, faster. You know, right. he used to love building the bullpen that way. And sometimes I think that, you know, you have to be able to like 
recognize and identify those guys that can get out like in 2006 when Chad Bradford led the league in stranding inherited runners. You know, right. find those guys that can get that ground ball when there's men on base and maybe get that double play. Just doesn't seem to be a lot of that thought process when teams build a bullpen. You know, there doesn't seem to be about velocity and guys throwing hard and throwing as hard as they can for one inning at a time. And it's just going to be interesting to see. Like, do you think, like Yamamoto, for example, I mean, I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to be a starter. I don't think that he's going to be in one of those, um, you know, I think they're, they're pretty set on David Peterson as the fifth starter. Do you think Yamamoto could be that guy? Uh, that guy in the rotation or in the bullpen? In the bullpen. Uh, he, he could be, I, I, maybe longer term this season, you know, immediate future wise, I would keep Yamamoto in AAA. You know, as their starter depth, I'm with you. I think David Peterson is probably going to be the fifth starter. You have Joey Lucchese behind him, but Jordan Yamamoto is probably that number seven or number eight guy. Okay. You know, we don't know how many starters the team needs to get through a season. So I would be surprised if the Mets switch, go with Yamamoto as a reliever immediately. Um, but as an eventuality, yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. He'd probably be pretty solid in that role. So, Let's let's just just dial it back for a second. I, I, you know, obviously, you know, you've covered the Mets for several. What is this? Your third or fourth season? This is my fourth season. Fourth season, right? Uh, so you've 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 been um, you've been there for a Wilpon spring training, and now you're there for a Steve Cohen spring training. Now, look, you know, I covered the Mets for a long time, so you know, I had I had a sense of the mood was like uh, around the team back then. Can you compare and contrast what it's like? I know the COVID thing completely skews what, what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, but can you explain to, to the fans that who, who might be curious, what's different about covering the Mets with this ownership? Uh Still getting a sense of it since it's early, and like you said, the COVID restrictions, which includes reporters not being allowed in the clubhouse, makes yeah. it harder to get you know your finger on the pulse sort of deal. But overall, it seems much more easier going. You know, I, a, a day last year, the last Wilpon spring training, when I was watching a practice field and the Mets were doing something with uh, some high-tech camera sensors set up. Uh, it was the day Noah Syndergaard, it was the day after Noah Syndergaard was caught by SNY in his skivvies throwing on the backfield. They were, they were doing a motion capsule stuff. Uh, and, you know, it, the, the, it's not like the Mets were the only team to do motion capsule stuff. Um, in fact, I think they were behind the curve, um, as they often are with technology and analytics, things like that. Um, but so, so I was watching the motion capsule stuff and then somebody got word that Jeff Wilpon was on his way and the Mets did not want Jeff Wilp. The Mets didn't care that I was there, you know, PR staff, staff, things like that. They didn't care that I was watching, but they knew Jeff was coming and they knew Jeff would care. So they asked me to basically just watch from a farther distance, which I was fine with, you know, I can, I can play ball there and uh, take it easy on them. So, uh, you know, for the sake of, uh, you know, building a good relationship with, uh, 
you know, people who are trying to protect themselves against Jeff Wilpon's wrath. Um, so that, that's a good example of how everything is, was really uptight uh, previously under Mets spring training. Um, this, this year, less so. Uh, you still get a lot of stuff because, again, the various COVID restrictions. Um, but overall, it seems like um, people are just easier and freer. And it's, um, you know, it's spring training, right? It's a fun time. You're in Florida in the middle of winter. Uh, uh, it should be fun. So uh, through, through several days, it seems that that's, that's my takeaway. One of, one of the other things uh, that has struck me watching a lot of these Zooms, as I said before, that, you know, Luis looks much more relaxed. He smiles a lot more, but I, you know, it's, I, I want to talk about uh, Zach, you know, Zach Scott, uh, because the other day, I don't know if you caught this, but somebody asked a question about, uh, it might've been Anthony DeComo. Somebody asked a question about dealing with more than one extension yeah. at, at a time and, and, and having to deal with multiple players and multiple situations. And he cracked a smile and said, I, I think we can handle it. Yeah. And, you know, when, my takeaway from that was when, when Jeff, who I've been referring to as a young qualified family member running baseball operations, um, you know, when, when, when Jeff was running baseball operations, when he, when he was the COO, I used to always hear about how they could only do one thing at a time. Because of every single decision having to be made with Jeff almost as a middleman going back and forth with Saul and Fred as to what he could spend and when he could spend it. Right. And now they don't have to do that. Like now they're just decisions that are being made simply on a baseball level and they are multitasking, you know, the way most front offices work. Would you would you say that that did you did you get that same takeaway when he cracked a smile and said that or was it just something that I'm super sensitive to? Um, I had a different takeaway, so I'll give you my takeaway and then I'll react react to yours, which which I could buy into definitely. My takeaway was that I actually remember the specific question and it came from Tim Britton, who used to cover the Red Sox for a long time. He was very good there for the Providence Journal. And the example that Tim gave about the multiple extensions at once was the Red Sox a couple of years ago signing Chris Sale and Xander Bogart. So I think that I read the smile from Zach Scott as I've done this before. You know, I, I locked up Sale and Bogart, so two extensions in one spring training. You know, that, that, that's a regular spring training right there. Um, so, so that's how I interpreted it. You know, Zach, Zach Scott, knowing he has some familiarity dealing with that, very specific scenario, which, uh, you know, isn't super usual. Um, but yes, you, to your point, yes. The Mets basically this, this offseason tried to modernize or begin to modernize their front office. And you could see that in the divvying of responsibilities, the delegating from Sandy as president. And they had to have not only, not just multiple things, but many things going on at the same time, just based on their pure volume of moves, right? It was like 10 free agent signings at the major league level, dozens others at the minor league level, seven trades or something ridiculous like that, including random three-team trades, the Francisco Lindor blockbusters. So it was a very busy offseason for the Mets front office. 
never mind all the behind the scenes hiring, the whole Jared Porter fiasco, et cetera, plus the late start they got when Steve Cohen finally bought the team. So uh, to, I guess to round back to your takeaway, yes, uh, they do run a lot of things at the same time. And, uh, you know, which basically every, every team needs to do. That's just the reality of, of baseball. So another thing that has struck me about, uh, you know, at least, at least, you know, and again, you know, I, I, I've told people that, you know, you may hear me tweet or you may see me tweet more about the Mets on a day-to-day basis, you know, you know, covering the team again um, gives you, I, I think when you get to see those interactions with the fans don't always get to see, uh, they're seeing more now than ever, but um, they don't get to see how the players react to, to different situations. I thought that, I, I think that the, the questions from all of you, uh, all of you, including you, uh, a lot of the questions have been tough. I mean, tough questions, you know, like, uh, you know, J.D. Davis, you know, you know, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of people thought that uh, early in this, you know, early in this process when Sandy was talking about, you know, how they were looking to maybe upgrade third base. A lot of people took that as a slight against J.D. Davis. Yeah. Uh, do I think they tried to get Chris Bryant? I think they did. Uh, do I think that, um, you know, that that uh, J.D. probably dealt with a lot of stress this offseason because he thought he was going to be moved in a deal for Chris Bryant or something similar to that. Uh, but I thought that my takeaway today was that he was pretty upbeat and kind of pretty confident in his ability to win that job. Did you get that same sense? I got that same sense, yeah. J.D. is a very mellow, up, mellow, upbeat, positive guy. As it is, you know, I remember talking to him in his first camp two years ago. And uh, actually, I had heard before I even talked to him from another reporter that he's, you know, he's a great guy to talk to. Um, And that's proven to be true. Um, But again, today, he was very, he was very upbeat, very positive, very confident in himself, which he should be given the excellent hitting he's done the last two seasons. Um, I, I am surprised at the consistency with which and the, um, the, yeah, the consistency with which the Mets have not really offered public votes of confidence to J.D. Davis. You know, if you're in the offseason, if you're looking at potential upgrades, sure. You know, call about Chris Bryant, call about Ar- Nolan Arenado, whoever it may be, right? That, the offseason's a time full of that stuff. Um, but the Mets publicly were, were, were more or less egging that on by whenever they were asked about J.D. Davis, they were like, yeah, you know, he's a great hitter or, you know, our third base situation's up in the air or, uh, you know, he'll be an important, an important player for us. You know, an important player, that does not necessarily mean sorry. <laughs> they basically, you know, open the door repeatedly to, for poor J.D. Davis to get dumped on on Twitter because the Mets fans thought they were getting, you know, some perennial all-star. Um, so I, I think the job is basically his. Um, it wouldn't super surprise me if it's some sort of, uh, you know, if VR gets some reps, Guillaume at second or third. You know, the Mets do have a lot of moving pieces in the infield. And, I, I'll, and I'll say this, too, because I noticed it every spring training. Uh, Luis Guillaume 
excellent spring training player. A couple years ago when the Mets signed Adani Echevarria, I thought that guy's going to make a roster. And then Giorme basically just beat him out. Um, so Giorme rakes in spring training. So if he wedges his way into some infield regular playing time situation, um, you know, that wouldn't catch me off guard. You no, know, you're right. I mean, Giorme is, is definitely one of those guys, but he has so much value because he can play more than one position, definitely. you know, and, and, you know, it's hard to give, it's always hard to give. I remember Bobby Valentine used to say that about Joe McEwing, you know, he used to be like, you know, I like him. I like putting him there and I like putting him yeah. over there. If I play him at one place all the time, he loses his value, you know? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I could see, I could see Luis, uh, kind of thinking that about Giorme, uh, whereas Giorme probably wants to play a position every single day. Because let's be honest, when he plays every day, he is a better hitter yeah. on, a, on a more consistent basis when he gets more offense. But I mean, you could basically say that about a lot of players. Some guys get exposed when they have, you know, extra at bats. I think Giorme is a guy that probably would thrive. But on this team, I don't think he's an everyday player. You know, just just based on what we're seeing right now, because I think. I think they think of McNeil as the everyday second baseman. I agree. Right. And, and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Lindor's going to play every day at shortstop and, sure. you know, uh, you know, it's just, it's just going to be hard. Uh, I think the hardest thing though, I think for Luis Rojas and the front office is going to be finding enough at-bats for Dom Smith, you know, and, and that whole first base situation is, I think it's going to be difficult because, you know, Dom is the better fielder, but Pete can't play anywhere else. And I also got a kick out of Luis Rojas. Was it you that asked about Pete playing third base? Uh, no, that was, that, that was Tim Britton. Yeah. Uh, maybe he, I think maybe you guys, maybe I keep forgetting like switching you guys up. Maybe that's what it is. It honestly um, happens all the time. Fans on Twitter, people within the Mets organization constantly. Yeah. But it's funny. It's just, it's just, uh, it was nice to see Luis smile like that and laugh about it. He's like, yeah, no, he's just having fun, you know, and start trouble during a Zoom. But yep. really, I mean, think about it. I remember um, when Lucas Duda and Ike Davis were yep. basically vying for the first base job. And I was totally wrong because I had covered both of them in the minors. And I was stunned when Ike Davis, what happened to Ike Davis, you know, because he was such a confident player. He was like the one guy that wasn't bothered by City Field. He was mm -hmm. so smooth around the bag. Whereas Lucas, though he had a lot of power potential and, and did walk more, he wasn't the fielder that Ike Davis was. And, you know, I, 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 was, I, would, have bet, I would have bet a lot of money that Davis would have been the long-time solution to first base. It turned out not to be the Death Valley Fever and all those other things that happened to Ike. And Duda turned out to be a, a, a really good player uh, on the team that won a pennant. So um, how do you – I mean, don't you think that that's going to be really hard for Luis Rojas this year? It's, it's going to be awkward, yeah. Uh, right now I expect Dom to play to start most days in left field. But with no DH spot available, they're back to fitting square pegs in round holes again defensively. Brandon Nimmo – great at getting on base, less great as a defender in center field, but he's basically their best option there, which makes Dom Smith in left field, same thing. You really, I mean, to go back to the beginning of the off season with what 
So here's, I'm actually have to look it up because Dom's going to talk to the reporters on Thursday. Sandy was not into the idea of Dominic Smith as an outfielder. Um, but now the Mets basically don't have a choice because they need to bat in the lineup. Um, and then, you know, Pete at first base, um, not as good of a defender as Dom, but at least can hold his own. But if between now and opening day, the DH gets added, right? Fingers crossed from some, as from the perspective of somebody who watches baseball all the time, um, a big pro DH guy, then everything gets better. You can, if you want, put Pete at DH, move Dom Smith to first, Brandon Nimmo to the left, and then put, you know, Kevin Pillar, probably maybe Albert Elmore Jr. in center field. You're much, much sharper looking defensively. Um, so, you know, not a lot of, you know, two potential paths, not a lot of easy answers there with no DH. Um, but, you know, all the Mets can do is work with what they have. And right now that looks like Dom Smith, very good first baseman playing regularly in the field. You know, it, it's funny, you know, I, I've, I've kind of made up my mind or, you know, at least I've, I've I have always been a purist. I've always been a National League guy. I hate You're coming to the dark side. I, oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, yeah. you know, and I, I, I think I tweeted about it over the summer, and I'm like, you know, I always was a guy that, you know, not that I loved watching pitchers hit, but I loved the fact that the manager had to think ahead of, ahead of you know, always had to be a couple of innings ahead to understand that. I have to really make a hard decision here. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe I'm a masochist. I don't know why I thought that that was so much better than having an extra hitter, you know, yeah. and, and with the whole Dom Pete situation, you know, especially when Dom just, um, did you see the video somebody tweeted the other day? Maybe it was MLB uh, of comparing Dom Dom's swing to Barry Bonds' swing. Did you see that visual? I did not see that, no. Dude, you got to check this out. It was a side-by-side -side comparison of Barry Bonds and Dom Smith. Yeah. It blew me away. Like how similar the, the, the swing path, the, you know, the finish, the follow-through. It really was – you got to look for it. I, it was really amazing. And that – I'm telling you, that was the takeaway for me to see Dom kind of just flourish last year and be this, you know, clutch RBI back and just basically be all about the team, how emotional he was, uh, you know, and a lot of people, you know, um, I think a lot of people were down on Dom, you know, a lot of people doubted Dom yeah. and, you know, to see him kind of emerge last year as this team leader, this, this clutch player. Um, I would love to see the, the, the DH happen. Do you, have you heard anything about uh, any kind of movement at all on that? Or are you just holding out hope? You know, I, I haven't heard anything other than virtually everybody around the Mets and otherwise in baseball wanting it to happen, hoping it will happen. <laughs> um, you know, the, the state of MLB, MLBPA, relationship is such that you know i i can't trust them to do the common sense logical thing at this point right that's just the way they behave with each other so you know i think it'll happen but that's just me uh you know banking on logic and common sense and the obvious thing as opposed to you know maybe 
letting reality rule. <laughs> One last thing for me. And, uh, you know, uh, when James McCann was first signed, I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, ask him a couple of questions and uh, get a sense of, you know, the kind of player or at least the kind of a player that he views himself to be. And obviously since then, uh, we've been able to hear from Luis, we've been able to hear from the pitchers, we've been able to hear from James himself, just how invested he is in being the kind of catcher that, unfortunately, Victor Ramos was not. Um, you know, uh, and, and maybe that's just wasn't Victor's style. I mean, I did always like him. He used to certainly kill the Mets when he was on the Nationals and other teams that the Mets would play. And, you know, I did think that, you know, there was hope for Victor to be a better player, but I never got the sense that he was the kind of general that, that you need from a catcher, you know, and, and the fact that James McCann's an all-star, the fact that, you know, he's such a high energy guy and has been so invested in talking to all the pitchers and getting that, you know, um, getting that familiarity with them, or at least starting the process. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge key for the Mets moving forward. I think that the, that, defensive slash intuitive leadership upgrade at catcher is yeah. going to play a huge role, not only for the team overall, but I think having somebody back there that is clearly uh, not only invested in, in the success of the staff, but cognizant of the role he needs to play. What do you think about that? Do you think that McCann is going to have that kind of impact? I expect him that, to have that kind of impact. I, you know, in these early days to hear him talk, to watch him and pitchers interact, to hear some of the pitchers describe their early interactions with him. He seems like the kind of guy who is exactly how a catcher should be taking charge, decisive leader, encouraging to his pitchers, right? How important is it for a pitcher believe in himself especially in a big moment and it feels like James McCann can handle all of those intangible things that come with being a catcher on top of that you know the improved hitting the last couple of years last year he was a much better pitch framer which Ramos was terrible at is terrible at um, so I, I think the Mets as far as upgrading at catcher have not only upgraded a catcher but upgraded at basically every area that a catcher needs to cover the offense, the defense, the leadership and intangibles, things like that. Um, and, I, and I think you hit the nail on the head with some of your questions on the zooms recently about McCann and basically Mets catchers throughout history, whether it's Mike Piazza, Gary Carter, Paul LaDuca, when they have excellent catchers, the Mets do big things. So James McCann, suffice to say, is a, a big piece of the puzzle this year and in the next couple of years for the Mets. Well, thanks, Tim. You know, I know you got to get up early. You got a lot of work to do. And uh, I certainly appreciate you spending some time uh, to talk with us today. And uh, look, you, uh, I'm sure I'll see you down the road. And hopefully we can hook up uh, uh, again during spring training to get an update. And uh, you stay safe and take care of yourself. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you very much for having me and uh, talk to you soon. All right. Take care, Tim.